Jason, good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here if you're watching online. Jason, I just want to get some clarity. You said Schnigglies. I, I'm not familiar with Schnigglies. Little, little treats. Little treats? Do they come with nacho cheese or Cajun spice? What do you get with the Schnigglie? Okay, all right. I just want to make sure what I'm signing up for next Saturday. I'm going to get some Schnigglies. I'm excited. All right, thanks, uh, thanks Jason. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, two weeks from today on April 2nd, Sunday, April 2nd, we're going to have a short uh, little business meeting after each service. Uh, for those of you that are interested to stick around to hear some updates, uh, especially if you're a member of the church, we're going to be uh, welcoming some new members. We're going to be uh, uh, approving some uh, representatives from our church that are going to national gatherings to, to represent us. And so that's on April 2nd. Uh, I'd love for you to come and join us for that uh, important family conversation. Uh, I have some negative side, uh, stereotypes of a family conversation. Whenever my parents would say it's time for family conversation, it was bad news, right? But uh, this is a good news thing. April 2nd, love to have you join us for that. We're changing up the pattern this morning just a little bit. Uh, we've done a couple songs, but we're going to do more singing at the end of the service today as a response to what we're going to talk about. And uh, sometimes it's just good to shake up the pattern a little bit, to break the habit and try some different ways of approaching our time together on Sunday mornings, because we are... Uh, people of patterns. We are people of habits. Uh, we get stuck in routines, and uh, sometimes it can be really good to, to shake those up and try something different. I want to take you back, if you remember SAT and AC, ACT testing. I want to take you back to standardized testing. We all enjoy standardized testing, I'm assuming. Uh, you've got your number two pencil with you, I hope. Uh, I want to do some pattern recognition work with you for a moment as we start to talk about this idea of patterns in our lives. So I want to start with some, uh, some picture patterns. And so let's put the first one up on the screen here. Uh, if you saw uh, cloudy sky, cloudy sky, sunny sky, sunny sky, cloudy sky, what's the next going to be in this pattern? Cloudy sky, that's right. So this is kind of like our last week of weather here in Kansas City, right? Uh, rain, sun, rain, sun. So good, good job. You, you, you nailed that pattern. Okay, here's another pattern. Let's look at this next one. Uh, if we have sportings, uh, royal, sporting, royal, what's going to be the next one? Uh, not Dodgers. I heard Dodgers over here. Just uh, get out. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so yeah, sporting would be next in this pattern setup. Uh, so really good. You guys have picture patterns down. Let's try some word patterns, okay? Uh, if we put these words up on the screen, as butcher is to knife, hairdresser is to scissors. That's right. Some of you are a little, little not sure of your answer. I could, I could sense that. But yes, scissors. A butcher uses a sharp knife. Hairdressers use a sharp pair of scissors to cut our hair. Okay, one more here. You're not my father is to Luke. Is, uh, life is like a box of chocolates is to it would just be Forrest. First names only, Luke and For Forrest, right, right. Good job. Good word association, word patterns. Uh, these are challenging for us. There's also behavior patterns. You know, we, we have different ways we behave, and uh, I, I think a lot of times we can look at other people. If you have a friend or a family member that you know really well, and you, you can see the pattern of their life, you know the thing they kind of always circle back to, that person that they're in relationship with, that job that they have, the kind of things that they always go back to that create the patterns of their life. And you can almost predict what's going to happen next because of their life patterns. It's funny, we, we have a hard time seeing our own patterns, but we can pick out somebody else's pattern pretty easily. But let, let's look at a picture of a behavioral pattern. If you saw this, uh, what would be the next thing you would expect to have happen? Can you, can you predict these two uh, men working together. I don't have a picture of what happened next, but we could make some predictions of what would happen next. In fact, this picture is part of a series of pictures that's titled, Why Women Live Longer Than Men. That's the name of that <laughs> series of pictures. 
so there, there are certain behaviors that we can see. Oh, there's a pattern there. I can tell what's going to happen next. I can pull that out. We can identify picture patterns and word patterns and behavioral patterns. But let's look at ourselves for a moment. What are the patterns of your life? What are the things that you do often and in regular ways, habits that you have? Uh, you, you know, your life is, is basically the summary, the sum total of, of your habits, of your patterns, what you do in the morning, what you do in the afternoon, what you do in the evening, what you do on work days, what you do on weekends. These patterns, that is your life, the way you decide to live. And if we want to engage in a new pattern, if we want to create a new type of experience in our, our lives, it's going to take effort and work. It's going to be challenging. They say it takes about 30 days to create a new pattern. And, and many of us just don't have the energy to put into it for 30 straight days. We make it a, seven days or 14 days, and then we, we just go back into our old patterns. Sometimes it takes a, a hardship in, a, in our life, a struggle. It might take a, a, something terrible happening to us to give us enough energy and desire to actually engage in something new and create some new patterns. It's not easy to do that. We've been talking about spiritual training over the last few weeks together, activities and routines and habits that we can create that give the Spirit of God an opportunity to teach us and to, to develop us in new ways spiritually. We've talked about uh, worship. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about confession. Some of these habits that we can engage in that allow the Spirit of God to teach us a, a new kind of life, to to encourage us and grow us up in our faith. And we've said that Jesus doesn't want us to try to be like him. Remember we said that? We don't, Jesus doesn't want us to try to be like him. He wants us to train ourselves to be like him, to engage in activities that can help us over time do things that we can't do right now, but over time we might be able to do them in the future. If we want to have a different life, we need to have a different pattern. If we want to display a different kind of love, we need to have a different pattern, if you and I want to experience a different kind of faith, we need to think about our habits and the rhythms of our lives and our everyday lives and look at some new ways we can live. This is why Paul would write to his friends in Rome. He'd say these words, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Instead of being conformed and pushed into a pattern that we see in our, our world today, Paul says, step away from that and allow God to transform your mind to live in new ways, to live in new patterns. Another translation says it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, changing the way you process information, the kinds of things that you see in the world around you. God is speaking through Paul and reminding us that every day we live in a pattern, we live in habits, and if we want to experience a different kind of life, we need to invite the Spirit of God to, to transform us that we might live differently. This morning, I want to talk about two things that can disrupt our patterns and help us create something new. I want to highlight two spiritual disciplines uh, that you can engage in that might allow the Spirit of God to bring new focus and new power and a new life to you. Solitude and silence. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Solitude and silence. Solitude is, is, is stepping out of our normal everyday lives and sitting alone with our thoughts and with God's word. And silence are, are those moments of quiet where we invite God to speak and, and help us see what he is doing. Instead of just thinking all about what we're doing, we, we, we have moments of silence. We're going to have a moment of silence later on this morning to engage with this. Not, not for KU, even though they deserve a moment of silence this morning. That was a tough game. But we, we want to have a moment of silence to reflect on what God is doing in this place. Solitude and silence. 
Solitude shows up several times in the Bible. There's several different religious leaders, faith leaders that engaged in solitude for specific reasons to answer specific questions that they were having. Uh, We could look at Moses and Elijah and Jesus and and see how different seasons of solitude in their lives help them to to move into new periods of spiritual power and and mission. I think about Moses. God used Moses to bring the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been enslaved for 400 years, and God worked through Moses to bring them out, and they made it out of slavery and into the wilderness, and there uh, God met with Moses for a, a period of time, a time of solitude, to help Moses engage with what was happening and get ready for what was in front of him. We see this in Exodus 24. It says, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from within the cloud. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was alone with God. In this time of solitude, Moses was preparing to, to lead the people across the, through the wilderness, physically kind of guide them every day, in these different desert places, but also spiritually guide them into a new way of life, a new way of interacting with with their Father God. For Moses, the solitude answered the question, what is next? What is next for us? In this solitude, Moses was wanting to answer that question, what is next? we're, We're out of slavery. I've got the people out. You told me to bring them out, and they're out. Now what? What are we supposed to do Now, what is next? Moses had three career moves in his life. He was in the family business for 40 years, then he was a shepherd in Moab for 40 years, and now he's like, I'm entering this new career. How do you want me to do this? What is next for me, Father God? Solitude can create a space for God to guide us when we ask that question. Some of you might be asking that question this morning. You know, what's next for me? What's next in this new job, in this new family situation? with my parents, with my kids, what's, what's next? And solitude can create a moment where God might speak and answer that question for you. Taking time to step away and be alone with God is, is one of the ways to answer that question. So that's Moses' time of, of solitude. Then we think about Elijah. Elijah's a Bible character that walked into another 40-period day of solitude, and, and he was doing great things for God. He was on Mount Carmel doing incredible. There was this one day on Mount Carmel where in front of thousands of people, God used him to display his glory in a powerful way. And it actually pivoted the whole nation. They began to head in a new direction because of what God did through Elijah on Mount Carmel. And then the very next day, Elijah's in the wilderness alone, frustrated, saying, I just want to die. He just wanted to, he was afraid and running for his life. Just a day later, And so we can look at his story here in in 1 Kings 19. The angel of the Lord said, Elijah, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. He traveled from one mountain to another mountain, from the victory of, of Mount Carmel to the cave of Mount Horab. And there he met with God and sat with God, and had some time of solitude with God. He was there, and what Elijah was doing in that moment was finding out what God was providing what he needed. So Elijah got drink and food. He traveled. He was in the presence of God. He was reminded by God and given hope by God. And most importantly, God said, I'm going to call a friend to come alongside you to remind you that you're not alone. I'm going to bring someone alongside to work with you and share the work with you so you're not alone. 
For Elijah, the solitude answered the question, what do I need? What do I need? That was what Elijah's solitude helped him answer. When we take pause in the midst of our busy lives, we have this opportunity to allow God to meet our needs. Because we are pulled uh, all over the place in our lives trying to meet those needs. We're pulled trying to find love and purpose and comfort and peace. And we think things like, if I could just provide this for my family, then we'll have everything we need. If I could just have this person in my life, then I would have everything that I need. If I could just pass that class or get that promotion, I would have everything that I need. And in solitude, we get a chance to sit with God and say, here's my life. And God can say to us, here's what you really need. Here's what you're looking for. Would you allow me to provide that for you? Would you allow me to bring that to your life? Elijah found what he needed in the cave, in the solitude. And then we think about Jesus, who was in the wilderness. He had solitude in the wilderness. He spent 40 days uh, fasting and struggling with temptation. Matthew was a Roman tax collector that gave up his position and his power and, and even some of his pride to follow Jesus. And he wrote the stories of Jesus in the Bible. And in Matthew 4, he wrote these words, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think so? <laughs> 40 days of not eating? I think I'd be, I'd be starving to death. Uh, Matthew says Jesus was a little, a little hungry, just wanted a snack or something. After 40 days, and do you see 40 days and 40 nights? We, we heard that in Elijah's story and Moses' story. There's, there's a rhythm there. There's something there about 40 days. We say it takes 30 days to create a habit. There's 40 days seem to be an important number of days, a, a time of, of change in our life, of transformation, a time of testing. And, and Moses, uh, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, seeking God's face, being, tep being tempted and the 40 days he had in the wilderness were a direct reflection of the 40 years that Moses led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And Moses, as he led the people, they, they went through their own times of complaining and social unrest and frustration, wondering where they would eat and where they would drink and wanting to make it happen on their own ability, their own power. And Jesus was tempted by those very same things in the wilderness during those 40 days. For Jesus, solitude answered the question, what happens in hardship? What happens in difficult days? What happens when I'm tempted, when I suffer? And Jesus found strength in the word of God, and he found an anchor in the stories of scripture. For some of us, solitude sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Like a day away, a day on my own, two days by myself, where no one's asking me to do something. I am not in the demands of my work job or my family job, or I, I don't have to argue with someone about what we're going to watch on TV tonight. You know, I get to be by myself. For some of you, that sounds wonderful, just per like heaven. But, but for some of us, solitude sounds a little bit more like punishment, alone with your thoughts, no conversation with a friend, bored, isolated. Remember when you were seven or eight years old and you had to go into a timeout because you got in trouble? Go in the corner 15 minutes by yourself, timeout. You know, that, it feels like punishment for some of us. For Moses and Elijah, the solitude was a time of encouragement with the Spirit of God, of, of filling a focus to the work that they were doing. For Jesus, that solitude, at least in this story, for Jesus, it was, it was filled with temptation. It was a hardship. It was a struggle. In fact, Matthew tells us that at the end of the 40 days, God sent a little small group of angels to come and provide for Jesus what he needed. He needed a time of recovery. Solitude is not always fun, but it's important, and it's transformational for us. 
And Jesus continues to create these moments of solitude, even as he's uh, spending his life with the people teaching and serving. He, he leaves those 40 days and he moves into Capernaum and he begins to teach and heal and bring new life. And we read in Luke chapter 4, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus went to a a solitary place, a place of solitude. He regularly stepped away from the commotion of, of his public life, the grinding work schedule, to be alone, to be quiet, to slow down, to be still. And it was in those moments when he was reminded of what God had called him to do. And he was able to engage in the mission and the ministry of his life. And he was able to stand against the shadow missions that that other people wanted him to take on. You see, the people of Capernaum here, they come and say, Jesus, just stay with us. We want to hear more. There's more people to be healed. We, We need to hear your teaching. It's so powerful. Just stay here and be with us. And it would have been easy for Jesus to say, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, You guys like me? I like you. Let's just stay together. That pressure to conform to the pattern of his neighborhood, his community. But he was able to to step away, to slow down, and be reminded of what his mission was all about. So he didn't conform. Instead, he said, no, I've got to continue to go to other towns to share the kingdom of God, to talk about what is true. That's why I'm here. And in the very next chapter, Luke 5, it says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we know that Jesus could have filled up his day planner. He could have been healing and, and teaching 24-7, 365. He could have been going constantly and, and more and more lives would have been transformed, more and more healing, more and more spiritual power and movement in his community. It could have been amazing. God could have done incredible things. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When's the last time you withdrew? When's the last time you retreated and found a quiet place? We need to remember that being busy does not mean being holy. That being busy doesn't mean that we're always doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we need to slow down and step back and invite God to speak to us. And in those times of solitude, we can have our, sh- our thinking shifted by the Spirit of God. And instead of doing all that we think we need to do, we can start to do what God wants us to do as he, as he leads us. When the energy and creativity and passion of our lives starts to dwindle and flicker, the flame of our purpose starts to shrink down. We don't need more fire. What we need is fuel. We need the Spirit of God to fill us again. That's why they call it burnout, because we just burn through everything. We have to have those moments of pause to be filled by the Spirit of God, to invite him to bring some fuel to our our hearts and to our minds that we might continue to do what he's called us to do. Can you imagine that time of being refueled by God? Maybe it's five minutes before you head into school at the beginning of the day to sit in the car for another five minutes and, and be with God for a moment. Maybe it's half an hour during your lunch break just to sit with God and have some solitude with him. Maybe 15 minutes after you get home, before you start pulling dinner together, so I'm going to do 15 minutes of just sitting with God and allowing him to speak to me and, and fuel me up for what's ahead. And then what, what if every once in a while, every six months, maybe once a year, you got a day away, a full day, or maybe two days, not vacation, but solitude, to sit with God and be in his presence and invite him to speak to you. 
And you might be thinking, well, Nate, you don't know what my life is like. I don't see how that can happen. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to hear me. You can make this happen. It can be a reality for you. It's not going to be easy. You, got to, you have to carve out the time and set it aside. Maybe look six months from now and say, okay, these two days, I'm going to set those two days aside. And then you got to figure out, what am I going to do with the kids? What am I going to do with the job responsibility? More importantly, what am I going to do with my dog? You know, you got to figure those things out. It's, it's not going to happen naturally, but it's worth the effort to have some time of solitude, an extended period with God, that he might speak to you and guide you, and, and he will use it in your life. He really will, if you'll make it happen. One of the things that happens in solitude is silence. All of our action, all of our work, just the noise and striving of our life slows down and stops, and there can be silence. Silence is another spiritual practice that we should find time for. And especially during solitude, we'd have times of silence. I want to read to you a psalm where David talks about this. If you'd open up your Bibles to Psalm 37, open up your Bible app on your phone if you've got that. Psalm 37, I just want to read verses 1 through 8 and invite David to to speak these words of truth over us to help us think about silence. Psalm 37, one of David's songs, verses 1 through 8. Just follow along as I read. David writes, Do not fret. Because of those who are evil, do not be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like grass plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Then in verse 7, David writes, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Our staff team sat last Tuesday and we read that passage together. And then we just ask the question, what do you notice in that passage? What stands out to you? What questions do you have? What do you think God is saying? And we talked for a little while about this passage. And one of the things that one of the staff people picked out right away is that 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 phrase, do not fret, shows up three times in this passage. Three times. David says, do not fret. Other translations say, do not be angry, do not be agitated, do not worry, do not be preoccupied. This idea of fretting, it's it's like burning up with frustration and concern getting all worked up. We fret when we roll an idea around in our minds and and focus on it and get anxious about it. And it it pulls us down into the shadows and the darkness and into fear, our anxious thoughts. And my mind goes to the uh, letter in the end of the Bible where Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And I'm like, Paul, seriously, anything? I mean, there's got to be some things that I can be anxious about, worried about. And Paul says, no, don't be worried about, anxious about anything. And I think, well, Paul doesn't know how life works, right? Paul doesn't understand reality. David was a king. He had a, he had a power. He had money, privilege. He had everything. He doesn't understand when he says, do not fret. He's like, he doesn't get it. David and Paul, they just don't get it. But if you know their stories, you know they get it. They lived real human lives. Paul and David, they had terrible days. They had near-death experiences. They lost people that they loved. They had regrets. They had people trying to hurt them, harm them. They had to ask for forgiveness. They are real people. And they say to us, do not fret. Do not be anxious. Instead of being anxious, Psalm 37 says, trust. 
Trust in God. Delight in him. Do what is good. Refrain from anger. Commit yourself to God. It calls us to dwell with God, to be still and to wait. That, that's the idea of silence, to be still and to wait, dwelling with him. It's, it's hard to be still and silent when you're not sure about the other person, when you don't know what they might say or what they might do. And if you feel like, I don't know God well enough to be in the stillness with him, well, there's some reality to that. It takes practice being in his presence. And that silence gives an opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of who God is and to hear his voice and to read his word and show that he is faithful and good. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's our relationship with God that we can focus on and dwell on and grow in as we step away and are silent before him and wait on him. We want to practice this right now just for a minute a moment of silence, just to listen for what God might say. And if you're anything like me, sometimes in the silence, it, it can be kind of frustrating because when I'm trying to be silent and focus on God, all these other things start to pop up in my mind. That, the thing that person said, that, that to-do item I have on my list, that bill that's coming due, these things pop up in our minds. And a lot of times I've played like whack-a-mole when I'm trying to be silent with God. You guys remember whack-a-mole? You ever been to Chuck E. Cheese or the carnival? And up through those little holes, those little plastic moles pop up, and you got to knock them back down with your hammer. And it's almost like that when I'm trying to be silent. That, little, that guy will pop up, and I'm like, knock him down. You know, that person will pop up, knock it down. That thing I'm worried about, knock it down. And, and God has worked on me over time and helped me to, to shift my thinking that in times of silence, God's not inviting me to play whack-a-mole. He's inviting me to, to, to see these things and to lift them up to God. And to say, you know this better than I do. You know this issue, this problem, this person. You are well aware of what I'm going through. And, and you lift them up to, and, and release them. To, instead of whack-a-mole, it's much more like helium balloons. It pops up in your mind. You just grab it and you name it and you look at it and say, Father, this is yours. I trust you with it. And you, you lift up and you release it and let God take it in that moment. And then you have like three seconds of quiet and then another thing pops up, right? So you grab that thing, you name it, you look at it, you say, Father, this is yours. I'm going to release it to you. And you let it go up and God takes it. God can help us grow in our ability to sit in silence and really focus on what he wants to say. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. I want to invite Logan to come up. Logan's going to read some scripture for us. And then we're going to spend one minute just in silence. And as we're sitting in silence, allow the words of scripture uh, hold on to a phrase or a word that Logan reads and just hold on to that image and focus on that during this time of silence. And as those things pop up, just, they're helium balloons. Just lift them up and let them go and allow the silence for God to speak to you. So Logan, would you read for us? Thank you. Mark four thirty-five through 40. Jesus said to his followers, let's go across the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him in the boat just as he was. A very strong wind came up on the lake. The waves came over the sides and into the boat so that it was already full of water. Jesus was at the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a cushion. His followers woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped and it became completely calm. Jesus said to his followers, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Psalm 46, 8 through 11. Come and see what the Lord has done, the amazing things he has done on the earth. He stops wars everywhere on earth. He breaks all bows and spears and burns up the chariots with fire. God says, be quiet and know that I am God. I will be supreme over all the nations. I will be supreme in the earth. The Lord all-powerful is with us. The God of Jacob is our defender. God, the King of the world. Let's take a minute and be silent before our God. Be still and know that he is God. So glad you came this morning to worship with us. I don't know about you, but I need some lunch now. I'm a little worn out, I'm a little tired. But it's good to sing together and be reminded of God's presence with us, his promise for us that he is faithful and good. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up every service, every Sunday. There's volunteers up front to pray with you and encourage you and lift you up this morning. We want to know that you're not alone no matter what you're facing. Go now with God who made that promise to be with you no matter what you're facing. He's going to guide you each day of this week. Go and share his love with those around you. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.